0: It is another very special edition of the 11th podcast. By very special, I mean we're missing one of our usual hosts. I'm George Eisner, and uh, regrettably, uh, we're we're down Johnny Ginter this week. However, uh, after you know, taking our shot at. Uh, quote-unquote fake pod Wednesdays last week we've had to go recruiting to the the other 11 warriors podcast for assistance tonight and we are graciously joined by uh, one of the shining members of the beat Andy Anders welcome is it Andy Anders or Anders, Anders. I, I, I've said it and okay all right they use on work i don't know if you ever watched the show workaholics they used to make a, a joke about one of the characters anders when they were mad at him they would call him anders so i don't know if if you're an anders or anders i don't know if that's like a, a disrespectful thing in the anders community. <laughs> well i mean welcome andy anders
1: yes uh it's funny you bring that up because griffin who w- was in this position before me griffin Strom. he uh he actually me and him worked together at the lantern at ohio state and he had in oh, cool. a note ders on my desk because of workaholics um so that is oh, that, that's a perfect little uh, intro to me but you know after hearing the shots last week which were related to the fact that Johnny had the closest score prediction and us on real pod Wednesdays didn't for Youngstown State after I had the closest score prediction for Western Kentucky I think it's only fair for me to come on here and onto the 11 dumb cast and uh, show them what's what <laughs> no uh, in all seriousness I'm excited to be uh, joining you here George and um, hope hope all's well with johnny you know i'm I'm sure he'll be back in action next week
0: it's incredible you you come to 11 warriors and you you fill the shoes of one departing andy and then you fill the shoes of another departing member of the beat who also has a a, of an extreme passion for mixed martial arts and now you're filling the shoes of another uh you know apps and podcast hosts. you 've worn three pairs of shoes here in your first uh handful of months on the team and it's uh it 's an incredible feat, so thank you very much once again for being here tonight It is a a special episode indeed, very special given uh we finally have a a feel good victory uh this season i think uh most fans would agree the Indiana and Youngstown state games uh left something to be desired relative to ohio state 's performance. This past weekend, uh, we were treated to uh, one of the the more classic blowouts we've become accustomed to in the uh, non conference play of late and I think a lot of that had to deal with the fact that for the first time in you know going back to the the off season the first week of the season, the second week of the season, the team finally has its its guy, its signal caller their their unquestioned leader they can point to their maestro of the offense and Kyle McCord performed accordingly. Only missed four of his passes through 23 of them on the afternoon for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. No picks. Did a very good job distributing the ball, as you would expect. Most of the uh, the wealth went to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka, uh, the latter of whom finished with two touchdowns. Marvin Harrison himself had a rather ridiculous 75-yard touchdown in which uh, he was about, he got, what, 10, 15 yards of separation from uh, his corner? Yes, so clocked at 21.1 uh,
1: miles per hour on that play.
0: Yeah, they said that was the second week in a row, I think, he achieved a speed faster than uh, anybody in the NFL did the following Sunday. So he uh, he's quite fast and, and limber and tall. He certainly looks the part of his dad. Um, but not only that, uh, you know, I've, I listen, I I've been somewhat critical of, I shouldn't even say somewhat. It's been a recurring theme every year at this school that the tight end is underutilized, And it's, it's no secret, uh, within 11 warrior circles who the biggest Cade Stover apologist on staff is, (laughs) but he, 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 Ty equaled Marvin Harrison Jr.'s reception total on the day, ninety yards, and uh, even though he didn't get in the end zone, and I don't believe he's actually found pay dirt yet this season, uh, he's been of he he was the standout receiver, I think, in uh, you know, aside from well, Harrison had a bad game against Indiana, but through two games, that's more consistency than we're generally used to seeing out of the tight end position. Um even in, in recent seasons with a bigger wealth of talent going back to, you know, Ruckert and other big names that have since moved on to the NFL. So I think that's a symptom of McCord, you know, doing a really good job distributing the ball evenly through the offense. And if we continue to see that this year, um, I, I I think that the sky can be the limit again, just given how, much consistency we've seen from Ryan day, uh, in developing at the quarterback position. So much of the question marks going into this year were about McCord. And I think this was the most encouraging possible step you could have had. We'll see how it carries over into the Notre Dame game, but Andy, how do you feel about what you saw against Western Kentucky Carrying over into the biggest test of the season yet, and probably the biggest test that uh, this team's going to face until they play Michigan at the end of the regular season.
1: Uh, yes, I'd agree with that assessment as far as the biggest test um, coming this week until they play Michigan. I think there's some people on staff who might see Penn State is perhaps a bigger challenge down the road. Um, and we well, we'll get to them. We'll get to on. them later on. Uh, but uh, for now, this Notre Dame game. This is what you wanted to see, I think, uh, from Ohio State. Both sides of the ball uh, took a real step forward as Day said they would at the skull session beforehand uh, delivered on his word there and from a court it just looked like a guy playing with the competence of knowing that he is the guy now he was named the starter going forward uh, during the week by Ryan Day and just you know it's not that he wasn't in the lead for the job before it's not that he was holding himself back any based on the fact that he was still in a competition with Devin Brown but there's a certain confidence that comes in the huddle with being the guy and i think that's part of what you saw from accord and it's also just look he got he's got two games of experience under his belt now going into western kentucky and got a third game and with the tra- trajectory of how Ryan's developed his quarterbacks, I think you see those early season lumps, and it, it's true of most quarterbacks. You know, the first few games aren't going to look the cleanest. As much as fans want to see it succeed right away, as much as you might get some of those knee-jerk reactions on Twitter, I, I you know, me and Dan always try to push back on some of those things um, a little bit from time to time. It's just like, you know, you got to give things time to gel and develop and find that chemistry, and that's what really separated McCord this week. Now, I think Western Kentucky secondary didn't present a whole much of a challenge. I mean, the 75-yard touchdown pass to Harrison, he was wide open. Uh, some some of those throws really wasn't uh, passing to a guy that was well covered. Now, there were some exceptions to that. I think that uh, he had a really nice pass to Stover across the middle. Um, you mentioned Stover, and uh, I know you're a betting expert here on 11 Warriors. I had over passing yards on Stover for the for my best bet for this game and that hit. Very nice, very yes, nice. Yes, indeed. Uh, and, you know, you referenced me being the top Stover apologist on staff. I am. I'll admit, you know, there's some inconsistencies from time to time in his blocking. He kind of feels like a hit or a miss there at times. You know, he'll whiff or he'll clear out a hole. and But I, I think there's a... He certainly has plays where he's a plus blocker for this team, and he had one uh, against Youngstown State that sprung Nick Booker for a big gain up the sideline for a touchdown uh, where he took out a few guys. But uh, I, I think, yes, it's a sign of what we saw from C.J. Stroud for so many years, the ability to distribute the ball um, and really go where it's needed, you know, and that is that was one of the next steps that Kyle needed to take. I think the other next step that he took in this game uh, that, you know, I've talked about, with a lot of people on the beat is you have to give Marvin and Omeka a chance to make a play. If you put it in the vicinity, these are guys that, you know, arguably the two best receivers in the country. Marvin's certainly the best, and I would think it's inarguable. Omeka's at least a top five receiver in college football. Put it in the vicinity, let them go make a play. And you saw on a fourth down early in this game, Kyle, it wasn't a perfectly thrown ball. It was high, but it was in a place where Mecca could go up and get it, and he did, and it was a first down. Those are the kinds of throws that I think were next for him. Just give these guys a shot to go make a play on the ball, and he was throwing it with more confidence. I think just overall, when you're talking the court specifically, but the team in general too, this was the next step you needed going into this Notre Dame game.
0: Let's get on to a, a more positive topic on the other side of the ball, which was the defense, which similarly looked good. Um, you know, again, again, another bit of an early hiccup, but uh, this was – I had been a bit joking in terms of saying this was going to be the most difficult home game for Ohio State all season. <laughs> that is mostly me just being disrespectful to uh, James Franklin. But that being said – Uh, I, it sort of felt like it was playing out that way, at least uh, through the first quarter. And it, I, my biggest concern was what if we get into a situation where McCord is forced to have to get into a shootout with a Western Kentucky system that enjoys putting up points. And it did look like at least for a brief moment in the early going that they weren't going to, you know, just keel over and go away. If it wasn't necessarily going to be a shootout, it wasn't at least going to break open in the way that it eventually did in the second quarter to the tune of Ohio State's 35-point quarter. So I I wasn't encouraged during the Youngstown State game by the early hiccup that was uh, somewhat made worse by Ohio State could have pretty easily, I think, forced a field goal opted to gamble on third down and medium in the red zone uh, by blitzing the house. And then that's how Youngstown state got their short touchdown. Uh, You saw Western Kentucky able to get another, not necessarily early, but in the first half touchdown of their own before uh, Ohio state's able to put the clamps on in the second half, you know, get some, some garbage time, grace touchdowns. Although I was, uh, it was very cool to see Tyreek Williams get rewarded with a scoop and score. After I'm, I'm sure he wanted to to get a piece of Jerron Cage's touchdown against Penn State two years ago, <laughs> but he had to settle for throwing one of the the important blocks in that sequence. So it's it's always nice when the football gods, uh, you know, reward players for doing the right thing on the field. But overall, you know, I I was uh, very encouraged by what I saw. We were very critical. I think of uh, Jack Sawyer, not only uh, this season, but even going back to last year, I remember as early as the Notre Dame game, I was very concerned about where his fit was going to be within Knowles' system, and even though we didn't necessarily see him go outright get sacks uh, this past uh, weekend, a lot of pressures, a lot of hurries. Uh, definitely saw more activity and encouraging uh, run from him than what we've got of late. And, uh, you, and it, as long as he can be a complementary piece on the edge to the the talent that's already there along the defensive line, I think that as the season progresses and that pass rush starts to gel and really get into a rhythm, uh, all of them are just going to really be able to play off each other very well. But it still is going to be very important for JT, Tui Moloa, and for Sawyer to set the tone off the edge in a way that we haven't necessarily seen early in the season. But I think in the same way we saw McCord take a step in the right direction on the other side of the ball, we saw the pass rush take a, a positive, if not an a outright leap, an encouraging uh motion in the right direction if you will uh with this game so i'm wondering andy if you had similar thoughts or where else throughout the defense uh that you felt encouraged uh coming off of this game i mean it was
1: hard not to be encouraged by all levels of the defense by the end of the game obviously they like you said early hiccups um and you know a couple you know basically western kentucky had two drives that kind of concern you uh the touchdown drive the field goal drive uh but yeah i think one of the things that does stand out, like you said, the defensive ends, I not just Jack, but JT too. I mean, really, JT, I think he had the Penn State game last year. One of the best defensive performances in team history. No doubt about it. But what you heard from him all offseason, you know, interviewing him, what, you know, the stats bear out when you look at them. He only had one and a half sacks across the rest of the season outside that Penn State game. And yes, he made impacts in games. Yes, he continued to show some flashes, but that consistent threat is what has been lacking from Ohio state's defensive ends as a collective in 2021 and 2022, really. So like seeing them again, they didn't get any sacks. Uh, Mitchell Melton had the first sack by an Ohio state defensive end this season in garbage time, but they had 13 combined pressures and the consistent pressure is That's a lot. Yes. Consistent pressure is more important. That's per pro football focus, obviously, but the, um, that consistent pressure is more important, even than I think getting to the quarterback a couple of times, because if you're, you know, that's a disruption to the passing game. And you combine that with an Ohio State secondary that, to me, continues to look like the best the team has had since 2019 when it was. You know, um, Jeff Okuda, Sean Wade, and Damon Arnett. You know, a couple first round draft choices in there with Jordan Fuller backing them up. You know, a, a really unheralded guy and a proven NFL talent now at safety. Like that, I think this secondary is that caliber. And um, I mean, that's high praise. But this was the game, first that game,
0: high praise early in
1: the season, but against a Western Kentucky team that threw for more yards than anyone else in college football last year. This was a legit offense. And this was the first real test for that secondary. Denzel Burke continues to look like an all American at corner. I think he's kind of solidified himself already as one of the best in the country. Igman Osen took another step forward. I think he's had some ups and downs the first few weeks, but the highs have been high too. Um, He's had a fumble recovery in this game. Jordan Hancock, he needed some experience settling into the slot role behind uh, Sonny Styles, who's you know the team's primary nickel right now and just looks dynamic as all get out when he's on the field. But behind him, I think Jordan Hancock has proved to be a really nice compliment when you talk about a pure cover guy against a true spread scheme like this, right? Western Kentucky has one of the best receivers in the country. He plays out of the slot, Malachi Corley. Hancock was matched up on him all game and gave up a catch or two. But like on the whole... Hancock had a really nice day. And I think the biggest development on that back end is at free safety with Josh Proctor. Proctor is a guy who I think in 2021 was taking that step forward that people have been looking for him for, for, from him for a while before he broke his leg coming back in 2022 was immediately usurped at the boundary safety position by Lathan Ransom that missed tackle against Notre Dame. That's been well covered. He Had a great game against Indiana, playing against a triple option offense, but everyone already knew about his skills running downhill and defending the run from that position. What you hadn't seen yet is his downfield passing coverage, and there was a ball early in this game where he was right there on a deep pass against a guy he was the only defender. It was a big third down stop that led to a fourth down stop. He was all over the field in this game, broke up two passes. I mean, just... His pass coverage is the last thing you wanted to see from him. And I think he's proven that he can hold up in that area. And I, I, you know, me and Dan talked about this. There were some people on Twitter calling for Malik Hartford to start at that position, which is something I'd push back on for a true freshman, you know. Um, And I, I think Josh has proven he missed the Youngstown State game with an injury, but weeks one and three, he's shown the totality of a safety who could be really good you know, that you need that free safety spot in a defense, right? So with him, Lathan at uh, boundary safety doing, you know, trying to get recapture the form he had for 11 games last season before, you know, a couple tough games to end it. Sonny doing what, you know, everyone's expected him to do and proving that he's a five-star talent. Denzel playing at an All-American level at corner. There's a lot of pieces to like in this secondary. And yes, 2019 comparisons are high praise. I get it, obviously, but this game showed that they are capable of playing to that level, I think.
0: Well, it's interesting you invoke 2019 because I was going to ask you about Burke's early season success relative to his freshman campaign when he looked poised for a a tremendous run of success at corner at Ohio State and obviously had uh, more than a few shortcomings last season. Um especially given we saw so many other sectors of the defense take steps forward in the first year under Knowles. I think a lot of people were surprised uh, that Burke didn't uh, necessarily see his play at least remain at the level that he demonstrated he could play at his freshman year. Um, So he's been good through the first, I think, you know, a few games. But what I'm wondering is, when you invoke 2019, I think about Sean Wade because when he was a freshman, he, I, I think his freshman year might have been the best year overall that he had as a corner at Ohio State. And it, he kind of got challenged in a way that was surprising. Uh, you know, I, I think back to the Ohio, the, when they played uh, Indiana, when Penix threw for over 400 yards. Uh, I believe when it was a Jahan Dodson that he got matched up against. Uh, when they played against Penn state and Dotson had, I think something like over a hundred yards receiving. So even though, you know, Wade, I would agree with your assessment. The 2019 secondary is, you know, in terms of overall talent, like collectively that, that is the standard that you want a uh, relative to like this group. And I do think they have the potential to get there. Um, the pieces I think are more solidly in place than they were a year ago. And the most important thing was going to be for Burke elevating his level of play back to where it was his freshman year. Do you think it can be sustained, though, is my question, just given Corner, I think, is the most volatile position in terms of sustaining talent on a game-to-game basis and or productivity rather than talent. And it we've already been demonstrated with guys like Wade in this program that it can fluctuate in a way that has a bad effect on the defense.
1: Yes. I think this is going to be more of what you should expect from him. Burke has always been a very physical corner. That's his style, man. He loves, he's talked about it. He's a guy who loves to trash talk when he's on the field. He's a guy who loves to be in people's faces. He's a press coverage man guy. Um, and that, he the fact of the matter last year he had an injured arm all season had some other injuries he talked about in the offseason maybe with his legs um and when you've got i believe it was a broken hand actually when you've got that as a press man corner it affects your ability to bump and run and to really be in guys faces contesting catches and now he's healthy again kind of the same that's been with travion and with other people who have you know on this team who have gotten healthy and taken that step again or found a resurgent season. He's not only gotten back to that freshman year form we saw from him, but I think he's exceeded it. He's taken another step in his development, and he's also stepped up as a leader, as someone who's kind of set the tone for the entire cornerback room. Um, So... Yes, I, I think this is the level of play you can expect to be sustained from Denzel, assuming he stays healthy. Um, the, the comparison with Wade, too, uh, I think there were some problems in the tr- transition with Sean Wade going from the slots back to outside. Uh, from, t- from 2019 to 2020, uh, may have contributed to some of that. And you know, if there were inefficiencies in 2019, that also gets masked by the fact you have two first rounders on the outsides of you. So that's, you know, it it, it is what it is in terms of Sean Wade. I think uh, with this defense in particular, though, I think you can expect to see this level of play from Burke continue. And I think Igbinosin is only going to get better from here as well. And the cornerbacks are really are what going to make this secondary in my eyes special potentially um and then you know like i said proctor taking that next step and Sonny styles being so versatile and dynamic in the slot with hancock is a true cover compliment
0: i agree all right so in terms of how this shook out for the polls uh there there wasn't much movement uh ohio state's still number six uh i don't know if people were expecting to move up or move down based on the events of the weekend but you know i'm i'm kind of at peace with it uh i you know it they can't build this i guess this has to be a top 10 like firm matchup now they can't say oh this is a top five versus a top 10 team i don't know if that affects the the billing or the marketing or whatever but are you are you at peace with the the decision of the associated press
1: uh i mean not necessarily, but it I mean it is what Ooh. it is i I <laughs> it, you know there's a uh, I think Ohio State showed you a lot of things that you know um, maybe warranted some consideration as far as the progress they've made and uh it's it, it you know, I don't put a whole lot of stock into early season rankings just generally um, kind of how I have always it's prognostication until you get to the actual college football rankings right it, and um, I think though that Texas struggled a little bit this week even if they beat Alabama earlier I guess really now that I'm looking at it you know that top five is kind of they've, they've solidified themselves quite a bit um, there were some top five struggles this week though across college football so it's um, I think on resume it's hard to put Ohio State ahead of a Texas right now USC has looked really good early in the season so my, my feelings are mixed as far as Ohio State's ranking, but uh, this this is going to be a um, very interesting game regardless. And uh, top 10 matchup, I think they win this week. They'll probably jump uh, UFC or a um, maybe even a Michigan who hasn't really played a marquee opponent yet um, and hasn't really looked that much of a world beater so far. Um, I oh,
0: well, We're going to talk about that too.
1: Yes, yeah, so when, when you're talking about having some issues against Bowling Green this week. And again, like early season, they might be another team that finds their footing. I don't think I expect them to look that way all year, but uh, there are teams who haven't been getting punished for not playing up to what they're supposed to be early in the season um, by the AP and Ohio state for, you know, I know they didn't look that great against Indiana, but they still won by 20 points in a, Big Ten road game, if you're not going to punish those other teams for, you know, struggling against remedial competition, Ohio's, you know, it's just not the same standard that it was maybe applied to Ohio State in my eyes earlier in the year. But uh, again, it's it's early season rankings. I just don't put too much stock into it until you reach the college football playoff. Fact of the matter is, if Ohio State gets to the end of the season and they're 12 and one and they're Big Ten champions, they'll be in the playoffs. And I think that's all that really matters in the end.
0: If I were to tell you a year ago that Quinn Ewers would have Texas entrenched in the top five ahead of Ohio State, would you, how, how crazily would you look at me? Like, is there, a, <laughs> is there an Ohio State fan out there that would believe that nonsense?
1: I think, yeah. Um, you know, the general purveying thought of, you know, Texas saying they, be the feeling of nationally that Texas was back so many times and actually wasn't. Yes, I would have looked at you crazily, probably. Um, but I, I always thought Quinn was that special talent who could elevate a team in such a way. Um, you know, he was the number one consistent number one recruit in his class for a reason. Uh, and I think they've now done enough to surround him with some pieces. They've had a strong running game the last couple of years, obviously. Um, They've got legitimate receiving weapons now. The defense is what's impressed me the most from Texas early in the season. I mean, they've taken a huge step forward on that side of the ball and really showed that against Alabama, although Alabama struggled to move the ball against USF too. So who who knows how real that actually is. But uh, yeah, I think we're also in the phase of college football season now where it's like everyone sucks. There's an everyone sucks phase to every season i think this weekend kind of had that feeling to it of i I don't think there's any team that's got a flawless resume right now everyone's had like a you know a so-so game against tough against a team they maybe shouldn't have what even georgia you know two score game with south carolina this weekend so
0: and I and I think that's why this win over Western Kentucky felt so good too is that after two, I mean, you know, stinkers by Ohio State standards to open the year to see so much so many other teams kind of trudging through the muck this past weekend and then have Ohio State just come streaking out of it is uh it that's At, about as good as you can ask for going into Notre Dame. So it's, uh, I, you know, well, if they beat Notre Dame, you would presumably think they would leapfrog somebody, if not Texas, perhaps the most underperforming team Maybe Michigan loses that that lofty, they fall from that perch of number two after, you know, McCarthy almost threw three picks and one of them on a flea flicker. But, you know, we'll we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, But before we do, uh, we are going to do Ask Us Anything. Uh, But even before that, we've got to uh, hear from our sponsor, One Medical.
2: The best defense is a good offense, and that goes for your health, too. That's why One Medical, the modern doctor's office, is changing the playbook for primary care. With four C-Bus locations and 24-7 virtual care, One Medical helps Buckeye stay healthy. And the relationship with OSU's Wexner Medical Center makes it easy to get access to specialists. To get your 30-day free trial, visit OneMedical.com and use the code TRY1MCOL. That's T-R-Y, the number one, M-C-O-L. All right, that was
0: One Medical. And now we're back for Ask Us Anything. And uh, the good news is the last time that Johnny bailed on the dubcast, he didn't actually give me access to Ask Us Anything. So I had to just kind of lazily ask. I didn't lazily ask him. I tried to pry any funny beat stories out of dan and that that guy is fort knox he he won't (laughs) he won't say anything it's a tight um, click oh yeah i'm sure no what happens on the beat stays on the beat. i know you guys probably have all sorts of stories about rabinowitz and the like but anyway (laughs) um I've got three questions that Johnny graciously forwarded me from our loyal listeners, and I've also got one of my own for uh, Mr. Andy. But before we get into my uh, own selfish interests, let's address those of uh, our good friend Kevin, who is wondering, how many yards do you think Kyle McCord will pass for against uh, Norta Dame? you spelled it N O R T E so
1: a <laughs> well, little typo there we've all had those even even those of us who are paid to write um yeah. the uh so yeah i my guess you know Notre Dame's got a really good secondary um Preseason All American at corner and Morrison, uh, was Morrison, um, Benjamin Morrison. That's his name, yeah. Um, preseason All American at corner and Benjamin Morrison. Um, number four pass defense in the country so far. I, I know that, you know, Navy's amongst that group of teams they've played, but, uh, <laughs> no, not exactly known for throwing the ball, but they, um, Notre Dame's defense is legit. I don't think it's going to be as easy as it was against Western Kentucky, but I do think McCord will again be the best version of himself as he has been, you know, he's taken a step every week. Um, Even, you know, you look at his progression from Indiana to Youngstown State, there was a certainly a, a step he took there. I think he will take another step this week, even if it's not necessarily borne out in the stats, because again, increase in competition as compared to Western Kentucky's back end. Um, but I will say, Two hundred fifty-four yards is my guess.
0: That's a good guess. I uh, I was going to say something similar in that range. I am going to go a bit shallower just because you look at his total from last week, and you take away the seventy-five-yard touchdown from that Marvin Harrison had, you get you know closer into the range of like just over two twenty between that two twenty-five, two fifty range. So I'm I'm going to say he falls within there. I don't expect Ohio State to have any of those 50-yard-plus touchdowns, although it would obviously be great to see that. I know they have a rich history of getting those long touchdowns against Notre Dame, going back to the Fiesta Bowl of many years ago. But the Terry McLaurin,
1: we- not Terry McLaurin. I'm sorry, <laughs> Terry Glenn. Terry Glenn, going back to right. Terry Glenn in the '90s. Oh my
0: goodness the the fate my that's one of my father's favorite touchdowns in the history of Ohio State, just because they're interviewing Regis Philbin in the middle of it, and he just kind <laughs> yeah. they they cut back to him after he scores. He's just like. <laughs> it's one of the only times that guy has ever been left speechless in his entire life. Yes. Uh rest in peace, Regis. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I think that two fifty or just below two fifty is probably appropriate for McCourt. It would be great if they, you know, did uncork a bomb in South Bend, but uh, I don't expect that uh to be the case. I don't think Touchdown Jesus is gonna smile on the buckeyes <laughs> to the tune of anything from uh, you know, scoring from their own end. So uh I you know I still expect a good afternoon. I don't think McCord will necessarily turn it over. I think that he, I I would expect him to like, I, I expect another high efficiency game for him just in terms of, uh, making the most of his opportunities and taking what the defense gives him. If that doesn't outright translate to, you know, several completions of over 20 yards, I think we will see a, uh, a, a sharp performance from him that translates to you know that respectable passing total against a, a stout defense, as you alluded to. That's where my head's
1: at. Yeah, yeah.
0: Next question comes from our friend Joe in Corning, California. We're so we're a, a net. Na- we got a national audience here on the Dubcast. I don't know about you, real Pod Wednesdays boys, but we, <laughs> we, got, we got Buckeye fans all over the country and the globe tuning in hey guys love the podcast two-part question out of the first three opponents the bucks have played which team do you see is the best team of the three considering their talent offense defense etc also what does the win over that team tell us about this year's osu squad I O joe <laughs> uh i'll say indiana um and i'll say that uh, what does that tell you about the uh, this year's squad? Um, not much because McCord wasn't the outright starter for that game. Uh, it tells me that... Uh, Indiana's going to come to Columbus next year and lose a 28th game in a row. That's what that game told
1: me. Uh, my answer's different. It's Western Kentucky. I actually think oh, Western cool. Kentucky beats Indiana on a neutral field. Um, I think they're, they're just offensively, they're much better. Um, Indiana still doesn't really, like the fact that they had to start Braden and Soresby after bringing in a transfer at quarterback doesn't speak well. I think you know that program, ever since the hype they got during COVID with uh, what the success they had um how they've kind of fallen off and haven't figured things out on the o-line for a while now i think indiana's defense is definitely better than western kentucky's um andre carter's legit at defensive end you saw that in the ohio state game they have some pieces there but i honestly think that uh that you've got a high flying passing attack from the hilltoppers and offense kind of rules the day in college football these days so i i would i would put Western Kentucky is the best team Ohio State's played. And what does that say? Well, it says Ohio State is playing its best football three weeks into the season than it has. And I mean that was pretty clear from watching the game, but I um I, I think really you put you can put a lot of stock into this defensive performance, especially against Western Kentucky, um, and the steps the offense took as well. Um but yeah, I would I would say Western Kentucky was Ohio State's best opponent by a slim margin over Indiana. Um and then, you know, Youngstown State kind of a tier below that.
0: I think that is a perfectly fair and accurate assessment. All right. And the final question, uh, we've got a double header from Kevin here and he asked guys, I do not know much, but I do know this. If Notre Dame does not score, they will not win. That's a fair assessment, Kevin. I I would agree. Uh, (laughs) How how many points do you think the Notre Dame offense will put up on the Ohio state
1: defense? Sam Hartman's legit. Um, That he is the best quarterback they've had in in a few years, certainly better than either Buckner or Pine last year. I think that he is his most efficient self. He's, I mean, he's completing over 70% of his passes so far this year. Um, I, they've got a great downhill running game that I am honestly really curious to see against Ohio state's defense, because I don't think they've been tested in terms of the interior run game as much, Uh, And that is a question I still have about this defense. With uh, Again, you know, Tylee Williams obviously looked great in this last game. Mike Hall, I'm as high on as anybody. But uh, there's just something about the push I saw in spring practice that the O-line was getting, the patchwork O-line was getting, against the D line and, and creating some chunks in the running game and a few plays that felt like a one miss tackle away from breaking for big gains, um, on the ground in some of Ohio state's early games, you know, kind of sneakily under the radar. Um, so I'm really curious to see what this looks like when, you know, Notre Dame's O lines legit, they're running backs averaging, I think 8.3 yards a carry so far this year, Audrick Estime. So, uh, that's, that's going to be real interesting. Um, I think Notre Dame scores, my prediction is 27. Uh, I think that's a strong performance from the Ohio State defense. They're going to do enough to win the game. That's what I think. Um, but I, I also think this is a, a really good offense and combined with a much better defense while you know they're not going to be as high-flying just because of the schemes as Western Kentucky. I do think on the whole with the running game, they're probably a little better than Western Kentucky and um, less turnover-prone than Western Kentucky was in that game.
0: I'm still kind of charting the rhythm of the game, I guess, in my head, you know, which is kind of, I, I don't, Jen, it's why I always, I'm sure to your chagrin, I always get my scoring prediction in late later than everyone <laughs> on staff. So that's, yes. that's why I'm always like, kind of, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I, I gotta really let the, 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 the process marinate. It's the, it's the, the calculus
1: of the betting brain. It's, it's gotta, you gotta run all the calculations over the course oh, of the you week. You
0: understand me so well, Andy uh but yeah i uh i i'm i you know i don't want to you know align my prediction too closely to yours and be accused of you know plagiarism or the like but i i'm going to say a little bit shallower of an expectation go around like 2021 20, um i obviously that you know that's the difference between a touchdown and two field goals so it you know there that could kind of come down to what the game rhythm is but i uh i I, if if Ohio State is able to get out to a lead then that is going to put Notre Dame in a more difficult position for them to I think play the way that they want that you're alluding to with uh, using the downhill run game to uh, set up more open passing opportunities for uh, Sam Hartman to take advantage of um, and he certainly uh, i I I remember coming out of the game last year thinking, oh, they're not going to have anyone a quarterback. I don't really have to worry about them next year either. And then that transfer portal just gives them probably the best option they could have gotten. And certainly, I think their most threatening name they've had. At I really haven't taken any of their prospects that they've put into the NFL going back to you know Deshaun Kaiser seriously of recent years. This is like... Hartman is the most intimidating name I think they've had a quarterback for some time. So I, I do recognize the potential that offense has, but I've been so encouraged by all three levels of this defense through three weeks that I do think that they're going to go out and make a statement uh, just, you know, relative to what people might be expecting from Notre Dame's offense uh, on Saturday night. So I'll say, I'll say they hold them to 21. They get in the end zone three times, but Ohio State ends the end zone more times than that, and that's how they win the game. So, Thank you very much for writing in to ask us anything. Uh, We're going to get to uh, some Big Ten discussion and a brief overview of the national landscape and get out of here. But before we do, we want to hear from our friends one more time from Abel Roof.
2: Need a new roof, but you're not sure if you can afford it? No problem! Able Roof offers 0% financing for qualified buyers. Call 614 444 ROOF right now to get your new roof with 0% financing. Able Roof has been servicing homes in Columbus for over 40 years. Able Roof is home with a one day installation, and Able Roof will remove your old roof and install your new one all in one day. On top of 0% financing, Able Roof offers a lifetime guarantee on every new roof that they install. This is a company you can trust. They make the process painless, and with one day installation, you'll have a new roof before you know it. Don't put getting a new roof off any longer. Call Able Roof today. Call 614 444 ROOF. That's 614 444 R O O F. All right. Thank you, Able Roof.
0: And now we come to the uh, more broader segment of the program in which we got to gloss over uh, where the rest of the Big Ten lies relative to the previous week and we'll start with Penn State as we alluded to earlier in the show. Uh I've been not impressed even though I know they had, you know, they put up 63 points on the the Delaware uh mudhead, I don't know. They're, they're 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 they I I made the joke they have the imitation Michigan helmets and Johnny corrected me that I think actually Michigan copied their look so they were actually the OG. Designed for that. But in any event, the not an impressive team in the same way as Youngstown State, you know, relative to Ohio State. You can't really glean much from that performance. And then last week, they kind of limped to the barn, I think, more than that final score indicates against Illinois. Illinois just has no tools on offense to be able to compete with a team like that. But it just felt like Penn State was just begging them to beat them for th- at least three quarters of that game just it it was right there for it that felt like a game that last year's illinois team wins like it like it's mm-hmm. it's there in the driver's seat it's it's within like a, you know 16 to 7 is technically a two score game but it's like right there and you know that if they just hold the glue together they're going to be able to get it and it, it got away from them a little bit just because they really didn't have any answers on offense. But you got to wonder a team that's just a little bit more equipped to put up points than what uh, Illinois was offering. I, like I, I just don't feel intimidated by the notion of that team coming to Columbus right now, given what I just saw Ohio State do in terms of overcoming their own shortcomings earlier in the season. So given the lack of success Franklin has had against this program, I'm wondering if you are similarly not as intimidated, uh, especially given so many people, I think, through the first two games were very enthused about Penn State relative to them being a top 10 team this year.
1: Yeah, talking about successful quarterback transfers with Sam Hartman, uh, talk about failed quarterback transfers with Luke Altmaier, uh, tossing four interceptions in yes. that game. Um, t- tough look for him there. I And look, I mean, he might bounce back. I never want to write a guy off. But look, w- as it pertains to Penn State... Drew Aller, I still feel, is legit. Nicholas Singleton is an amazing running back. I, I think they've got pieces to be really good on offense. Um, it, it, the, Their questions almost always seem to pertain to the offensive line and whether they can actually keep guys upright. And yeah, Aller didn't have a great day. Um, You know, when you talk about less than 50% completions, well, wow, I didn't even realize. Uh, it's less than 50% completions against that secondary. Um, There's... Maybe some things that are being worked out with Aller in the early going to the season, you know, um, and I just think he has a very high ceiling. And by the time they play Ohio State later in the year, they're going to have some things figured out there. And the defense is good as it almost always is with Penn State. Um I think, you know, you still ended up winning that game by three scores. They don't look as strong as I expected them to lurk early in the season. My Penn State stonks are down a little bit. Um <laughs> for certain. Then from what I was uh, saying earlier in the year, you know, I always thought they were the third toughest opponent on the schedule after Ohio after Michigan Notre Dame or Ohio I think most State. People would agree with that. Yeah, uh, there was there were some people on staff who had them number two behind Michigan. Um, you know, that top three is kind of inarguable, right, on Ohio State's right. schedule. Um I am curious to see where they go from here. Um, They, yeah, I I think Penn State is a legitimate threat to the Buckeyes still. Um, But like you said, James Franklin doesn't exactly have a history of success and the opportunities he's had outside of, you know, uh, yeah, the opportunities he's had recently to beat Ohio State just hasn't capitalized on when you talk about some comebacks that have happened late in games um, at different points in his career there. So there's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still definitely keeping an eye on Penn State. I'm, I'm not going to write off that they can be an elite team yet and contend in the big Teen East, but they they haven't shown that the first few weeks of the season really on a consistent basis.
0: Someone who is a little bit more competitive in the Big Ten east of late is Michigan, although that, I don't know if you tuned in for that Bowling Green performance. I know most people were watching uh, that completely goofy Rocky Mountain showdown instead uh, if you were watching primetime college football Saturday night, but uh, as I alluded to earlier in the show, J.J. McCarthy threw a pair of picks against a uh, pretty booty Mac team, and almost through a third one on what was one of the more comical touchdowns you'll ever see in which multiple players bobbled the ball in the air before finally a Michigan player graciously came <laughs> down with it and they did that stupid little you know circular stroke thing that they've become accustomed to doing up in Ann Arbor of late uh, what I was I was real it's a shame Johnny isn't here cuz obviously he's the threat level Michigan guy and he certainly had some thoughts on uh, McCarthy's performance coming off the weekend. But Andy, is Michigan the the world beater that we really, really like? They've been built up to be, or can we? Are are there are there cracks starting to show in terms of the weird the weird winner psychology that Harbaugh has deployed on those his faithful <laughs> troops up there?
1: You know, every 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 team has cracks, you know. I and I, I think there's definitely some places this Michigan team might be vulnerable for Ohio State. Um I'm not sure I'm not sold that their offensive line is as good as last year's. Um I I think that was one of the things that made them so successful a year ago when you look at you know, no matter who was running the ball, they had success a year ago. You know, when Blake Corum went down, Donovan Edwards picked it up. And man, Edwards has had a rough start to the season. Uh, McCarthy, I'm not sure how much stock I put into this performance. Like He was sleepwalking. He looked so good at the end of last year, particularly against Ohio State. And on the whole for the season, he's still throwing 82% completions. Um, you know, not a great start, of course, against Bowling Green throwing those picks, but just... Um, He had a great first two weeks, and you wonder how motivated. I mean, you have such a bad schedule for them. Um, That might be something that comes back to bite them, too. I'm curious to see when they do finally get to the big games, and it didn't cost them last year as much, but when they do finally get to the big games down the road, are they going to be up to the task and prepared? And you've got to be awake for those opponents, right? Um, I, I think a lot of this was... Just a malaise and, uh, you know, a lack of interest from Michigan in this game. Um, Bowling Green, you know, you, you've played, you're off East Carolina and you and LV. It's like, you know, when are you going to play somebody real, right? Maybe that does enter the players' minds a little bit. I, I, I'm i going to need to see a couple more bad showings from McCarthy before I say there's something wrong there, though. Because anyone can have an off day. And uh, I think that's what happened here when you look at... Uh, his recent success end of last year, beginning of this one, the first two games at least
0: i I would agree from Michigan's perspective, none of those teams are worth antagonizing in the tunnel, so perhaps they'll they'll get someone uh worth riling them up soon um moving across to the big Ten west seems like you know is it Iowa's to lose at this point is that firmly where we're at uh cuz that that would be kind of <laughs> lame i know the the go- the goof for them this season has been oh are they going to average that coveted 25 points per game they got 41 this past weekend but we are going to be transitioning into the that weird conference part of the schedule where it looks like we've got an outright big 10 west like winner every year and then some kind of weird somersaults happen through october and november and we we end up with some kind of weird potential three four-way tie and some scenario where northwestern can still potentially end up winning uh two weeks before the end of the season so is are we going to see iowa in the big 10 championship or do you do you think they still have the capacity to to bottom out as we get into the weird part of the schedule
1: you know, the longer I've been attuned to Big Ten West football, the longer I've watched Big Ten West football, the less I know, George. It's it's a <laughs> kerfuffle every single year. It gets more chaotic every year. Last year was the most chaos I've ever seen, and I think it might be in for another round this year. Heck, I think why why not Purdue make a trip, you know? I I, I think the the <laughs> Boilermakers are, are uh, you know, under Ryan Walters, they, they've looked so madly inconsistent as they always do. I, I, I have, I have no idea, man. I, this is Western Michigan, right? How much stock can you put into the 41 points against Western Michigan, the Iowa as good as Bowling
0: Green, at least
1: there you go. Yeah, but I I, like all the whole Big Ten. I mean, Minnesota and Nebraska played that slog earlier in the year. There's Wisconsin. I had been pumping the brakes all offseason on Wisconsin. Everyone thought Luke Fickle was going to come in and immediately have that program contending in the Big Ten, and it's just, no, I, I didn't think that was going to be the case. Even with, you know, they got great transfers, but they're running a completely new offensive scheme op, up there um, that they've never run at that university before under Phil Longo. And, like, when you're in all those transfers, as talented as they might be, it's a new program. It's a lot of new. It takes a year to settle in, I think. I do think Luke's gonna have long term success at Wisconsin. I think they're gonna be obviously the Big Ten West is going away next year. If there were a couple more years of the Big Ten West, I think even as soon as next year they'd be the team to beat. But um I'm not gonna write them off just because it's again, I I don't know with that division anymore. And uh but I, I also think that, you know, they've kind of fallen back into that mess of maybe a team that could win it because who couldn't win the Big Ten West? You know, I uh, I think that it's just proven to be the, the chaos it always is on that side of the conference.
0: Last note for the Big Ten this week, uh, Michigan State played Washington and promptly got spanked. That was mostly uh, because they were without Mel Tucker, although I think most people would have expected them to lose that game anyway, given the the start that Michigan State had, had found themselves in. Mel Tucker's now gone two days after that. Uh, he was already suspended without pay, and then it uh, came out today that he is going to be uh, fired with cause by the university. Uh, that was very vindicating for one Brett McMurphy, who originally reported that uh, <laughs> Tucker was going to be fired and then had a slew of other reports uh, from other members of the media saying no no not yet so I'm sure McMurphy who put out a clarifying tweet afterwards saying as originally reported he actually is being fired so uh, kudos to our uh, favorite mustached member of the national media for uh, getting that one right that being said what what is going to happen with Michigan State from here? Like, do you do you see D'Antonio like giving them like a a one year like transitional thing maybe next season or like they've they, they've they got all this. Money. What's going to happen to NF Tuckers? I need to get my <laughs> NFTs before they go off the market. Those are going to be worth a, a, a killing.
1: Yes, they're gonna be worth a ton. I um, yeah. Th- I mean, that program really hasn't been in a great state, even you know prior to all this Tucker stuff. I, they they've struggled mightily to find a quarterback ever since. Uh, you know they just the past few seasons it's been uh, a real problem there and uh who, who's gonna want to touch this job now i don't know um I d'antonio maybe you, you get on the phone you, you try there, to all
0: that money that they were going to give to tucker is going to go to Deion sanders now
1: <laughs> yeah and i don't think uh, honestly michigan state is probably a step down from colorado in terms of uh your ability to contend yes at this point certainly now boulder's a gorgeous campus though honestly i think they're a little hidden recruiting gym in there that uh Dion might take advantage of but um back on michigan state um yeah mel tucker fired for cause i it's them and northwestern right now although northwestern of course it doesn't attend anyway normally but like it's just been amazing to see the fall you know of um michigan state's program and how high they were on mel tucker after one season of exceeding expectations to give him that ginormous contract and uh now it's uh all unraveling there um and maybe there's some people behind the scenes um you know that are uh, happy to see him leave from a pure football perspective of you know he wasn't living up to the billing of that contract and uh yeah, the, the the one of the reports I saw out there is that one of the reasons Michigan State was able to fire him now or was looking is looking to fire him now with cause before the investigation actually fully unveils itself into those claims of sexual harassment is that he made a public statement about the ongoing investigation with his attorney and that was a specific thing Michigan State told him in their letter to him of why they are firing him now with cause is because you commented on an ongoing investigation so from their perspective this you know might play out differently in court but from Michigan State's perspective even if he's exonerated now that gives them cause to fire him the the statement that he and his lawyer released publicly um, of his own accord so um a whole lot of uh, stuff there. Obviously, I would say Michigan State doesn't pose any threat in the Big Ten East this year for certain. Um, <laughs> that I think that goes without saying. And I'll, I'll be interested to see what's next for that program as they try to move past, um, you know, that whole scar on their image. Really.
0: Well, I'm going to the Michigan State Ohio State game this season. It's my it's my first trek up to Columbus in many years, so I look forward to a competitive afternoon, as you've alluded to. Uh, that's going to be a good, that'll be a good tune up in November. Uh, you know. All right. So that's it for the big 10. Uh, let's, let's, you know, real, before we get out of here, we should address, uh, the national story of the week, uh, outside of, you know, that crazy Rocky mountain showdown. Um, the sec is kind of bad.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's been. It's weird, but yeah, you know, I I have um, Alabama like t- started Tyler Buckner at quarterback who transferred. They were from playing to like Bay. in
0: a pseudo monsoon. Like I live in Miami, so it's like two hours west of here or whatever. So I can sympathize that it was a very wet. Damn Saturday over in Tampa for them. So I I I can sympathize with having to play football on the muck, but there's no excuse for uh you know what you know Georgia making letting Spencer Rattler hang around. Like, come on, man. what Well, was Tennessee going on
1: and Tennessee outright losing to to Florida, who's already lost to Utah, and like, um, yeah, it's just uh it, it, the the SEC stocks have never been lower and. Florida State already beat LSU earlier in the year. There's no – I don't think there's any chance of them getting two teams in this year as we've seen in past college football playoffs. And really it feels like right now the only team that has any sort of trajectory toward the playoff at all is Georgia. Um, Of course, two-time defending national champions. And you give them a little bit of the doubt when you talk about their ability to constantly churn out elite defenses and have – at least enough going on offense to, you know, go win national titles as they've done in back to back years. So um, I'll be curious to see how they look from here, but obviously barely uh, holding on against South Carolina is not a good sign for them um, going forward.
0: Do you think Saban is getting ready to be done? Like hey, he, he seems like he's gotten a little bit soft. You know what I mean? Like he's uh. he's being too nice with the media. Like he, <laughs> it, it, it just for ha- for the position Bama is in, like the Saban of years ago would be in like wartime general mode, and he's just kind of like, eh, you know, we're gonna figure it out. We're making a lot of mistakes, you know. It's, you know, we're.
1: I do think Saban's always been a team guy when it comes to handling the media and what he says to the media is, you know, he'll address when things aren't good enough. And he said that, especially about the offensive line lately, you know, that's the number one issue for Alabama right now, that and quarterback play, they, you know, Milrow hasn't looked like all that much, you know, they turned to Buckner this week and there are some reports that that was a secret suspension that wasn't made public that Milrow was suspended this week. And that's why Buckner played. That. Yeah. Um, that was reported a couple places. The place I saw it was Josh paid on 24 seven sports, but there's a, there was, there's a couple other places that reported that. Um, but with, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know, maybe, um, it's hard to know behind the scenes, I think, um, cause how you conduct yourself publicly can change and evolve over time. I think Ryan day at Ohio state ha- handles the media different now than he handled them even three, you know, when he took the job. Um, but, behind closed doors you know the team is playing a little softer now less disciplined you know even the last couple seasons last year um this you know they didn't lose to texas last year but in that game all the penalties they had and um they're just it just feels like that grip
0: they should uh, have lost to texas last
1: year yeah that grip that they've had on college football as the gold standard it feels like it's kind of gone um they're trying. They're just clinging, and you know, as as wild as it is to say, as bad as they've looked, they do still have. Like you know, if they went out from here, they'll still be a playoff team, right? Win the SEC, but um, it's it's not it's not looking likely to happen, and it, it is feeling like, the, you know, that grip is. Is, has loosened it's gone they're not the top dog anymore you know the gold standard um now they've still got an incredible collection of talent on the roster they're still recruiting among the best teams in the country Saban is 71 now though and um you, retirement's always been out there for him he has said he will be the coach of the team until he feels he can no longer help the program be better you know and uh, you wonder when that day will come um Frankly, I'm it'll be one of those bittersweet moments, you know, it'd be like seeing Tom Brady retire. It's like, man, I, you know, I might have been against you for so many years, but uh, it's it's the sports not going to be the same without you, you know, so uh, it'll
0: be like Emperor Palpatine being like, all right, I'm done. I've had my fun. Like, I'm I I don't want to see that guy anymore. He's terrorized my my favorite (laughs) sport long enough. Get out of here. Go eat Debbie Oatmeal Cream Pies until you're 100 years old. I don't want to see you stealing national championships away from Ohio State anymore, running Devonta Smith out on tough Borland, Like, just, I don't, he's been, he's traumatized us. Get this guy out of here. No, no, being nice to Nick Saban and not, not on the Dubcast, Andy. Absolutely not.
1: All right, not on the Dubcast. I'll save it for real Pod Wednesdays. uh, That's right. The 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 pro Saban talk. Yeah, (laughs) that's
0: right. Well, it was uh, it was quite an enjoyable episode of the Dubcast, and uh, Andy, thank you very much again for filling in. Uh, We will be back next week to recap the Notre Dame game. I'm going to have to – again, I I said it last week. I'm going to a wedding in, like, rural Colorado this weekend. This is the second year in a row – I am missing the Notre Dame-Ohio State game for a wedding. (laughs) And the difference is I wasn't the uh, co-host of the Dubcast last year. So I'm going to have to get on a plane Sunday and then get – I won't get home until like probably 10, 11 Sunday night. I'm going to have to at some point during that day or on the plane re-watch this game and get acquainted with what happened after the results already been spoiled for me. And then do the show with Johnny next week, unless you come back and fill in again. So we'll, <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. It yes. seems like we both think that they are going to win. We're expecting you know Notre Dame to score no more than 27 points either way. So I would expect we both think Ohio State's going to get up into the 30s in the point total. Um, but, you know, we, we will see how it goes. Um, but once again, Andy, thank you very much for filling in and uh, that we will be back next week. Thank you very much for tuning in to the podcast and take care. folks.